Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. <laughs> I grew up in a small California town where basically every corner had a slightly different denomination of Protestant churches, with one Catholic in the mix. In sixth grade, I became friends with the girl whose dad was the pastor of a church just a block away from my house. My parents let me go to their youth groups, even though there were doctrine differences between our evangelical church and their Presbyterian one. I think they were just happy that I found a good Christian friend at school. This church sat on the corner of two residential streets, a big round building with stained glass and a few courtyards and side buildings. Next to it, on the side of my house, was a small grass field. I had seen everything from youth groups capture the flag to a wedding under a canopy performed in this field. It didn't seem to belong to anyone. There was a line of trees separating the field from the church back parking lot. Teenagers supposedly made out there. The grassy area served as a bus stop for local junior high schoolers that I would use. One slightly gray morning, I was walking the straight line from my front door to the bus stop. When I got close enough to see the field, there was a woman walking the opposite direction along the same sidewalk. We were still kind of far from each other, but we got close enough to each other that I could see she was an elderly woman with this cute bob haircut. She was wearing nice clothes, like what other older ladies might wear to church, a long black dress with roses and some sort of little hat on her head. I thought it was weird to see an adult at the junior high bus stop, especially since no other kids from my tiny neighborhood had arrived yet. I remember rehearsing in my head how I was going to react with this woman once we inevitably met paths. I thought maybe I'd smile and say good morning as I stepped aside for her. I'm having these thoughts and mentally preparing for this social encounter with a stranger when she completely stops, turns around and walks back up the hill towards the other side of the church. Now this caught my attention because I was walking down the sidewalk to the grass field where there's nothing. And she was there walking at 7.30 in the morning just to turn around and go the other direction at some random spot. It just struck me as strange, I guess. So I followed my feelings about her and kept walking to the corner where she had turned to the left and gone out of sight behind the church. I got to the corner at the top of the hill and looked left, expecting to see her walking back the way that she had been. Instead, she was impossibly far away like she would have to have sprinted or teleported. Suddenly, she was in the distance and walking towards me again. I was so confused and shocked. At this point, 
A girl in my class that I would talk to on the bus arrived and saw me all the way at the corner. She called to ask what I was doing all the way over there. I took one last look to shake it off and walked back to the bus stop. I started explaining the weird behavior and feeling that I got from this woman to my friend. And while we were talking about it, we noticed that the lady was now walking behind the church in the parking lot adjacent to the little field. Through the trees, we saw her just wandering. This was also troubling, since I knew that the church was closed and the offices weren't on that side of the building. We used to play hide-and-go-seek type games at youth group, so I knew she was basically walking around where the dumpsters were. She wasn't watching us exactly, but it felt like she wanted us to see her. At least my friends saw her and also found her creepy. This made me feel a little less crazy. Later, I asked my friend, who was the pastor's daughter, if there were any elderly women that looked like her that went to that church. I'll never forget what she said. Well, there was one, but she died. I immediately went into drama queen mode and told her that I saw a ghost. She was actually mad at me when I told her what I had seen because we were good Christian girls and shouldn't believe in ghosts. Maybe to prove a point, she actually brought out the church directory. This was a booklet with everyone's name, photo, and contact information in the church. She pulled up the deceased woman's photo, and it made my heart skip. The resemblance was remarkable. She had the same distinct bob haircut as the woman that I saw. The same kind of general body shape and size. Same outfit and similar headpiece. I thought my friend was fucking with me. There's no way that this woman is dead because I saw her. I was being put on. When I relayed this, she just got mad at me again. She said she could prove it because there was a memorial at the church. And sure enough, it was not far from where the woman was wandering. My friend showed me a memorial plaque by the water fountain with her unique name clearly engraved. I'm not sure if I saw a ghost of that old woman visiting her church that day. But I'd like to think that I did. I was even able to learn her name and pay my respects at her fountain. I've never seen a ghost like that before or since. And whether I saw a ghost or just a very eccentric neighbor out for some unconventional exercise, that is irrelevant. It still gave me chills and my heart raced. I wasn't so scared as much as I was excited that it had happened at all. Finally, a crazy paranormal story in my real life. I'm delighted just to be a part of it, and I've cherished it ever since. I've always been hesitant about all this, wondering if it's just me being crazy and there being an obvious explanation for what occurred, but since both my sister and I experienced this and neither of us can possibly explain it, I'm quite positive that this was an extraterrestrial encounter. It was a summer night turning brisk, with fall right around the corner. My sister was asked to drive up to her friend's remote farm to house-sit 
and take care of their chickens, cats, and goats. This was a normal occurrence, and I would happily join her when I had the time, thinking nothing of it. Now, since this home was in the middle of nowhere, and quite off the beaten path, it was always quiet. No car sounds off in the distance, no planes zooming around above, no loud generators, no strong winds, just a very secluded and quiet area with only the soft chirps of birds and the occasional bleats from the goats. This specific night, we drove up to the home and had decided it'd be best to just stay the night. The goats needed milking right before bed and then again early in the morning, so staying the night and not driving back and forth between homes just felt like the sensible thing to do. I had never slept there before, but my sister had, and she said it was always quiet, nothing out of the norm. As the night drew on and exhaustion found itself creeping up on us, we headed down to the basement room that had been set up for company, and we both crawled into bed. Once again, it was so silent, I could hear a pin drop. It was so silent until it wasn't. I remember I kept looking out of the small basement window near the bed and just watching the trees. They were still. Everything was still. We had been lying there, both trying to sleep, but unable to. That's when we heard it, as well as felt it. Out of the silence came an almost deafening, deep, mechanical humming. It sounded like heavy, unnerving gusts of wind almost harmonizing with one another. The walls were shaking as if a huge speaker was playing on the other side of them and the vibrations were all along the walls like a static tickling pulse. We both bolted up in bed and looked out of the window. There was nothing out there. No wind either. Everything was as it should be but None of it felt right. The sound felt foreign, and it didn't come from just one direction. It surrounded us. It hovered above. It slithered below. You could feel it everywhere, surrounding you, and it became so loud to the point we both had to cover our ears. Without even speaking, my sister and I ran out of the basement room and up the stairs, where the noise grew. We grabbed the car keys, leaving almost everything we had brought with us for the night behind, as we ran out of the home and shuffled to lock the door behind us. As my sister shakily fumbled for the keys, I turned to face the sky and the millions of branches covering most of it. The ear-splitting roar of this sound was hovering above us, right above the home. But as I searched and searched for the cause, there was none. Nothing was there at all. Or maybe there was something just invisible to the human eye. The key finally slid into the lock, and with that, we both began running to the car. That's when we both heard the cracking of tree limbs from above us, like this foreign mechanical craft began lowering at the sight of us. A noise I could only describe as a train going down the tracks began to sound above us as well. It was as if a huge metal door was opening, ready to swallow us whole. 
I felt eyes all over me, stripping me of my safety, undressing me with their gaze to make me feel small and vulnerable. I can't describe why I felt I was being watched, but I knew the sound had something or someone there within it. Luckily, the car started as we worried it wouldn't with our luck, and we raced down that long, empty gravel road as fast as we could. Away from whatever it was above that farmhouse, I kept looking back to see if I could catch a glimpse of what caused it, but I never saw anything. I remember racing home and into the arms of our mother, both of us so shaken up and terrified of what happened. She believed everything we said and wholeheartedly felt it was extraterrestrial, since no other explanation made sense. We even spoke to the owners of the home, and they had never heard anything like it. The next morning, we had to go back. It was very unnerving making our way up to that middle-of-nowhere house. I didn't know if we'd show up to find the whole place ripped up from the ground, like it never existed in the first place, or if anything would have changed at all. Pulling up to the gravel driveway made me sick. I didn't want to get out, and neither did my sister, but we both grudgingly exited the car and made our way up to the front door. Right on the doorsteps laid a dead finch, and we were both shocked and completely at a loss for words. We both turned to look at the lawn, and there were more. This is something I cannot explain at all. It was very unpleasant and has stuck with me in the years since. We ran to the goat shed after seeing the corpses of these little birds, terrified they'd be dead too. But every other farm animal was luckily fine. We can't explain the birds. We can't explain the haunting sound that shook the house. We can't explain those branches cracking and breaking above our heads with no wind to shake them either. All I can say is, whatever it was that terrified me and my sister that night, leaving our eardrums sore, killing those birds, stripping us of our safety, and convincing us alien abduction is real, let's not meet again. I've had a lot of strange experiences throughout my life, starting at a very young age, but many of them are difficult to articulate in language that accurately portrays the weirdness of them. Perhaps I'll find a way someday, but for now, I do have a story that has some tangible details that make it a bit easier. I had begun studying world religions during high school, so when I entered community college, I majored in anthropology, focusing on comparative religion. At that time, I was very interested in Sumerian mythology. For those that don't know, Sumer existed 6,000 years ago in the southern area of what is modern-day Iraq. This was the early days of the internet, 1997 and 1998. During high school, I had relied on books for much of my research, but in college, 
I would use the computer in the library to research various things of interest. I had collected a bunch of Sumerian invocations, spells, and rituals over the years. One day I found that someone had put a Sumerian to English dictionary online. I was really excited and I printed out the entire thing on the library computer. The dictionary was pretty big, but this was before they implemented those pay-for-printing procedures that they now have. Some days later, I was in my bedroom at my house. I still lived with my dad. It was late at night and I decided to try and translate some of the incantations that I had. It took me a while, but I was able to fully translate one of them. I didn't do any kind of ritual or spell work with it. I just translated it and read it back to myself. It was late and I was tired, so I got into bed and went to sleep. My bed was situated in a corner so that the head and one long end of the bed was against the wall. I turned off my bedside lamp, got into bed and closed my eyes. I'm not sure how much time passed. I was drifting off to sleep when I felt a hard push against my arm on the side of the bed that was towards the open end of the room. My entire body tensed up hard. I couldn't move. I was feeling as if I were being shoved again and again from the side of my body, so much so that I felt my elbow and arm on the other side of me knocking against the wall. I remember thinking that I knew this was really happening because I kept hearing my elbow hitting the wall. I could feel it, and I could hear it. My entire body was extremely tensed up. Then I suddenly relaxed. I don't know how or why I did this, but my body just went limp. Then I felt a big, weird whoosh go through me. I sat up straight in bed and turned on my light. As I looked around my room, it was like I could see every molecule in the air. The walls seemed like they were breathing. There was a strange, effervescent type of quality to everything. In my body, I felt the strangest feeling, one that I've never experienced since. It felt as though I had goosebumps inside of me, on all my internal organs. Despite being 18 years old, I thought about getting up and going to my dad's room to wake him up. But as I peered over the bed and looked at the floor, it had that same strange moving quality, and I felt that if I had stepped down, I would just fall right through the floor. So I just sat there on my bed, curled up in my blanket for I don't know how long. I don't remember translating something like it ever again. I've since lost the piece of paper that I did translate. Maybe I burned it. I'm not quite sure. But I do still have those printed out sheets of the dictionary. Looking back, I wonder how accurate that dictionary really was. Nevertheless, it must have had some veracity. For something had been awakened that night. a young boy about four or five years old. My family and I were living in a creepy house in the town of Fort Erie in Canada. 
There were various encounters in this house that I recall, but I will only tell you a couple for now. The first encounter took place in my room late at night. To paint a picture of what my room looked like, it was a small, normal-sized room with lightly painted walls, a doorway straight in front of my bed, and off to the side there was an attic crawl space door, which always gave me a creepy feeling. While I was playing in my room, I decided to get up and go see my mother for some reason. As I walked back to my room, I distinctly remember hearing the TV. It was playing that signature eerie music from horror movies, reminiscent of a murder scene. As I walked up the stairs, I could still faintly hear the music from the TV. As I stepped into my room, the room lit up super bright. At the same time, the eerie music from the TV amplified in my room. Then the light bulb exploded and the music stopped. I ran down the stairs, screaming to my mother. She comforted me like a great mother would. Then we went upstairs and she convinced me that it was nothing. Remember this. Deep down, I knew something was not right, and I always got that feeling of being watched in my room. The second encounter took place some months later, and would prevent me from sleeping or even going in that room. It was late, and I had school in the morning, so I was in bed, sound asleep, I cannot remember why I woke up. It was probably due to an unsettling feeling or something. Either way, I woke up. As I opened my eyes, I noticed a figure standing over me. Thinking it was my mother, I wiped my eyes and asked what she wanted. There was no reply. I looked at the figure and noticed it was not my mother at all, but some older woman just smiling at me. Frozen with fear, I managed to let out a scream for my mother. My parents, in a frenzy, flicked on the light as they came in to see what was wrong. As they did, the figure disappeared, never to be seen again. I told them there was an old lady in my room. My father laughed and told me to go to bed. My mother asked what she looked like, so... I described the woman. She calmed me down, but I eventually asked to sleep in her room, which she allowed. From that day on, I never went near that room, and even started sleeping in the same room as my sister, who was a baby. Years later, my mother and I were talking about the events in the Fort Erie house with friends. She then told me that the description I gave of the woman sounded like her grandmother. I know my stories sound unbelievable, and I have had trouble believing them myself, but as I've gotten older, I've had more experiences with various other spirits at different locations. I should also mention that my family is very in tune with the spiritual realm. Even now, as I am writing this out, I'm getting shivers in my neck and feel an unexplainable energy around me.
This did not happen with me. This happened with my brother-in-law. He also likes scary and supernatural stuff, so we were talking one night about it. I asked him if he had seen a ghost in his life, and he nodded his head. He told me about his experience. For the sake of the story, we'll call him Sam. Sam was around seven or eight at the time. He's in his late 30s now, so you can guess how old this must be. He used to live in a really remote area with his family. There was a park that he used to go to every evening to hang out with his friends, who were his age. He did this almost every evening, and they used to play various games that kids would usually play, mostly hide-and-seek. The park wasn't very big, and there were a few trees and some scattered vegetation. Other than this, there was a ruined and abandoned house inside the premise of the park. For some reason, they had not removed this broken building from the park, and it stood silently at one corner. So that gave him plenty of places to hide. But since they were kids, and easily scared of darkness residing in the ruins, they chose not to enter that building. After this event, he and the other kids, who were witnesses to the event, rarely went back to the park. This was one such evening, and after some casual talks, they decided to play their usual, most-liked game, hide-and-seek. It was around 6.30pm and it was winter. Sam remembers wearing a sweater and full pants. Since it was winter, it had gotten dark early, and most of the people at the park had left. The kids, too, decided that they would leave for the day after just one last game. There were around six kids all together. They played rock, paper, scissors to decide the seeker, and Sam lost. So he had to go near the gate of the park, run towards the opposite direction, and count to 100 while the others chose their hiding places. It was darker when Sam finished counting, and he started approaching the places where he thought the others might be hiding. Out of five, Sam was successful in finding three of them, but two of them were nowhere to be found. At first, they thought that the other two were messing with them and weren't coming out to get them worked up. But once they understood that it might not be the case, their little seven-year-old minds started to tense up. It was dark by now and it was time for them to go back. The other three kids along with Sam started calling out to the other two, asking them to come out wherever they were. There wasn't any response. Once they made sure that the two of them weren't hiding in other places, they headed towards the old ruined building. They called out again, and there wasn't any response. Even though there were four, they were scared to go inside of the building in the dark. They frantically called out for the other two kids, but in vain. Finally, when they knew something was wrong, one of them, who lived near the park, ran out to fetch his parents. Another one accompanied him. So now Sam and one of the other kids stood there in the deserted park in front of this building, too scared to go inside and look for them. There weren't any lampposts at this park, thus it was dark everywhere, and Sam and his friend had no other option than waiting. Suddenly Sam notices something dark. The building stood at one of the corners of the park, as I said, and that meant that it had a fence going through the back and to the right side of the building. The gap between the fence and the building was very small. Sam could see a slight outline of a person in that gap. He wasn't sure if it was any of his friends, so he moved closer to get a better view. 
However, this figure was much taller than the two kids. The face was hard to make out in the dark, but Sam was about to nudge the kid, who stayed back with him when he saw that the other kid was already looking in that direction. He had seen it too. Sam saw something that made his blood run cold. He could figure the outline of a head, shoulders, and a pair of hands, but he couldn't find any legs on the figure. It was floating above the ground. It just floated there silently, facing towards them, floating in the air. Then both of the kids watched as one of the hands of the figure moved and wiggled its fingers, asking them to come closer. Sam was scared and helpless. In the silence, he said that he could hear silent weeping. His friend began to cry. Although Sam wanted to run, his legs wouldn't obey. The other kid was now crying out loud and screaming. Both of them heard a noise behind them and turned their head to see the other two kids, who had gone to get their elders, running towards them with two men and a woman. They recognized one of the men as the parent of one of the kids who had gone to fetch their parents. The others were the parents of two kids that were lost. Sam turned his head back to look at the figure. It was still there, but it seemed to be deformed. Sam saw in bewilderment as the figure gradually turned into this kind of dusty tornado. These were the exact words Sam used when narrating it to me. He says that there was no better word in existence to describe the event. This tornado was small, but fast. It rolled around in that area for some time and then gushed past across the kids who were now accompanied by the elderly men and the other two kids. The two men inquired a bit to Sam and his friend without wasting any time. They went inside the broken old building with flashlights in their hands. The woman stayed back with the kids. After some time, both men came out, holding in their arms two unconscious children. Later, it was known that one of the kids who went inside had persuaded the other kid to go, too. One of them was reluctant to enter, but the other one, being very daring, made sure that everything was going to be okay and Sam would never find them there. After entering, they remember seeing a whirl of wind mixed with dust just lingering. They said that the wind made eerie noises as it revolved around the area. They got very scared and wanted to run, but instead they ended up just blacking out. Naturally, none of the parents believed the story and thought that it was some nonsense tale made by kids to extract empathy and escape from a scolding for entering the building. All of the parents had strictly forbidden them from going anywhere near that building, and yet they did. After the incident, the children rarely visited the park. The two kids were rescued and needed time to recover from the trauma. Their parents thought that Sam and his friends were involved in getting their children into danger, and as a result, the group of six disbanded. Even today, as I talk about the incident and the figure, chills run down my spine, says my brother-in-law. What was that thing? Why was it there? Why had they not seen it before? What did it want from them? And if it had bad intentions, why did it let the other two kids go unharmed? These questions still remain. After the incident, the children rarely visited the park. Sam further states that when he and the other kid who stayed back with him 
discuss the incident, they both sort of become silent, letting each other know that this was not something that was unreal or mistaken sight, since both of them had seen it. When I was 24 and newly wed, we were under contract to buy our first home. I had a key and brought my friend over late one evening to show her the place. As we prepared to leave, I went to turn off the lights, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw someone walk from the kitchen and into the dining area. Assuming it was my friend, I called out that the door to leave was here by me. She leaned in from outside the house and said, I know, I'm out here waiting. I did a double take and walked over to where the figure had gone, but no one was there. I later shared that experience with my husband and told him I was worried that something was off with the house, but he dismissed me and we went ahead with the purchase. Small things happened at first after we moved in. Glimpses of movement when no one else was home lights turning on that we swore we had turned off, and things moved from where we had left them. When our daughter, Gracie, was around nine months old, I would notice her watching something moving across the room, and she would wave and babble into thin air, as though she saw something there while I saw nothing. This became very frequent, and as she learned to talk, she would say, Bob, and even greet Bob, then proceed to have animated toddler conversations with him. This continued as she grew, as did the odd occurrences. If she cried at night and I didn't immediately cross the hall to tend to her, her bedroom light would flicker on and off, even though her crib was nowhere near the switch. Her push-button teddy bear would also start to talk and move, even though it was alone on a shelf near no one. These kinds of things happened often, but always seemed harmless, if creepy. I was skeptical of the paranormal, so I tried to rationalize all of these occurrences as best I could. That skepticism began to fade when I could no longer find rational explanations for things as they escalated. One time, as I was folding laundry while my then two-year-old daughter Gracie played in the living room, I clearly heard an older man's voice command me, Get her. It was only me and Gracie in the home, but the voice was clear and sounded like someone was right next to me. Panicked, I ran into the living room and saw she had gone into the kitchen, climbed onto the cabinet, and was pulling on a shelf of glasses that was tipping over with her weight, just before she fell back and brought the glasses crashing onto her, I grabbed her and kept her from falling. That was the incident that convinced me that this was definitely something beyond rational explanation. Shortly after that, we got a kitten for Gracie. She was immediately in love with it and played with it nonstop. It was then that I noticed a shift in the atmosphere. Things seemed 
darker. The electric toys would go off any time the kitten was near and at all hours of the night. Until finally I removed the batteries, but even that didn't stop the teddy bear. With no batteries, it would still talk and move. Another time, as I was talking on the phone, I sat the phone handle down to go get the cordless phone from the other end of the house. When I returned, the phone handle had been picked up and was hung up, even though no one else was there. Later, I was giving Gracie a bath and the doorbell rang. I went to answer and no one was there. When I returned to the bathroom, it rang again. I checked and still no one. This happened a couple more times until finally I stood where I could view the porch to catch whoever was pranking me but the doorbell began to ring and ring over and over non-stop while I could clearly see no one was pressing it outside. When I returned to the bath, Gracie looked at me with big eyes and said, Bob's mad. Then there was a huge commotion in the kitchen. I grabbed Gracie up and wrapped her in a towel and ran to see what had happened. All of my kitchen chairs had been thrown across the room and were turned over against the wall. Gracie stared at a far corner of the room and then sadly told me, Bob doesn't like Kitty. I just stared at her in disbelief, terrified. A friend came to stay with us after that incident with the kitchen chairs, and I made him a bed on the couch. In the morning, we found him asleep in his car. He explained that he'd woken up in the middle of the night and saw in the window an old man's image staring at him, clearly unhappy with his presence. My friend said he looked menacing. He didn't feel safe to sleep the rest of the night in the house and hadn't wanted to wake us, so he slept in the car. He cut his visit short and left later that day. Eventually, we learned that if we kept the cat outside most of the time, things would be fine. But whenever we would let it in, doors would slam, the garage door would open on its own, and there was a presence that was just darkly noticeable. One day while we were playing outside with the cat, my sweet elderly neighbor came over to visit us. As we talked, she shared how nice it was to have young neighbors, especially ones that loved cats. Caught off guard, I asked why she would say that. She explained that her previous neighbor before us had hated cats and would set poison out to kill any strays that came near his yard. My blood ran cold when she said, Yes, old Robert Dean, well, everyone just called him Bob. He sure hated cats. I suppose they told you he died in that house not long before you bought it. That was enough for me. Kitty stayed outside and we put the house up for sale. We made sure the new owners did not own cats, although I knew it would probably sound crazy to try and explain why. As we packed up to move, I found an old picture in the back of a drawer that must have been there before we moved in. 
It was a photo of several older men, maybe a dozen of them, standing outside of a church. Gracie noticed me looking at it and came to see. Her eyes widened as she pointed to one man and she declared, That's him. That's Bob. I showed the picture to my neighbor and she confirmed that the man Gracie pointed out was indeed her old neighbor Robert. After we moved, Gracie would often talk about how she missed her friend Bob until eventually she grew old enough to forget about him and the house altogether, since she was only four when we left. But I know I will never forget the experience we had there. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Odd Trails. This week, you have heard Church Lady by Becca Aliens and Goats by Injured Lamb My Odd Story by Eva Fort Erie House by Justin The Dark Ruins by Anoop And finally Feline Phobic Ghost by Amy all of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Odd Trails is not associated with any message boards online. If you have any stories you would like to share, send them in to stories at oddtrails.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at oddtrailspodcast. So often we will get submissions that are just a bit too short for a regular episode, but every once in a while we'll get one that's too good not to tell. Uh, recently we got one. It was called Summer of 94 by Shutterbug. Brandon, would you like to do the honors and share that with everyone? Absolutely. So, this happened when I was a kid. As an only child, I spent a lot of time listening to the adults around me, especially my parents. I awoke one morning to my mother on the phone, speaking to her own mother, telling her about the strangest dream she had, which had unsettled her. Her brother was murdered two years prior to this, and she had a dream about him. He gave her a message at the end of the dream. He told her that she would see a man dressed in all black. Black hat, black sunglasses, black jacket, everything black. Throughout the day, I hear my mother mention that she keeps seeing someone dressed in black wherever she goes. In the middle of this hot summer day, my parents and I pack into their car to drive home. I'll never forget it. We had stopped at an intersection at a red light. Out of the corner of my eye, I catch this flash of black sweep across my vision. As I turn, I see a man dressed in black from head to toe, including a large hat that just slightly hung around the sides of his face. As this man reaches the crosswalk, I hear my mother recounting her dream and how it has just really messed her up not understanding what it's supposed to mean. As soon as she reaches the part about a man in black, the man in black who had slowly been crossing the street came to a near stop in front of our car and turned his head to look directly at us. He continued crossing the street when my mother burst into tears. Now, you probably have no idea why I wanted you to read this story on the outro so badly. No, I, I don't. I so, really don't. You were very adamant. So, Shutterbug, you and me, buddy, 
we have very similar experiences. So I want to say it was when I was a teenager. I was like 19. I was living with my mom still, um, maybe 18. It was right before I moved out to my first place. And I was kind of, kind of, that's, that's when I started to party a little bit, started drinking and hanging out with some new friends that were getting me into bad stuff, which I didn't know was The wrong crowd. Yeah, but it was just fun stuff. It was innocent. It was pre-Brandon days. Yeah, yeah. It was pre, the the sad pre-Brandon days. Oh. And uh, so I I think she was just getting a little stressed out about me and my goings-ons. And she came into my room one night and woke me up and told me, hey, are you Okay. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm sleeping. And she said, I I keep having this dream about this dark figure that's following you. And tonight I had a dream that it was here in your room. I just want to make sure you're okay. (laughs) I just looked at her like, I'm I'm trying to sleep. uh, So I'm not going to sleep now. And now I'm not okay, mom. Thanks. Yeah. Gee, thanks. Thanks for that. Yeah. And throughout, you know, until even after I moved out, we would have conversations every once in a while. She would bring it up. She'd be like, I had that dream again. That dark figure was following you. I was like, thanks a lot, mom. And it's something that I've never forgotten. I've always, I think, I think about this all the time. Yeah, mom, I'll go ahead and do something about that black figure in your dream. Thanks a lot for inducing this anxiety over a situation I have no control over. Exactly. Thanks, mom. <laughs> so thanks. I love moms. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Shutterbug, <laughs> for sharing that story. Uh, we will do this from time to time. As I said, it's a bit short for a regular episode, but it's it, this one just jumped out at me, and we I didn't want it to go to waste. And I know some people kind of want to hear this back-and-forth dialogue in regards to the stories themselves, so this kind of gives us that opportunity to a little more lighthearted end-of-show banter. Exactly. Uh, anyways, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Odd Trails. We'll see you next week for a brand new episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next time. Stay safe. Peace.